Hey, everyone. Uh, it's Russ, and welcome to another episode of Women's Retirement Radio. Um, excited to share a conversation with you today. Uh, I'm joined by Corey Rick of the Long-Term Care Planning Group. Um, Corey and I have gotten to know each other over the last few years. We've worked uh, together in um, helping a couple of clients out, which I'm really happy about. And uh, I'm really, like I said, really excited to have Corey join us today and, and that we can share this conversation with you. So, Corey, thanks for being here. Hey, Russ, thanks for having me. Uh, appreciate the opportunity to spend some time with you again. Yeah, well, I always enjoy uh, speaking with you. Why don't, we, uh, why don't we get started by you just telling us a little bit about yourself? <clears throat> well, what we do at the Long-Term Care Planning Group is we help individuals, families, executives, and companies and employees own their future further by understanding and implementing long-term care. Uh, there can be a lot of uh, questions about it. Uh, sometimes there's a lot of fear and confusion, and what we want to do is help people understand uh, what it is and uh, perhaps more importantly, what it isn't. Yeah, and thanks for that. And I'm sure as, as we get deeper into the conversation, we'll cover some of the, uh, some of the what it is and what it isn't topics. But uh, before we get into that, um, share with us a little something about yourself that maybe most people wouldn't be aware of. Just to, just to let people get to know you a little bit better. Sure. Uh, well, um, uh, I have completed nine full marathons uh, since the year 2000, and um, all of the times ranging between four hours and four hours and 30 minutes. Um, that's not something I really talk about, but that's something that people may not know about me. That's uh, that's interesting. When was your most recent uh, marathon? Uh October of 2018, uh, my wife has has run 11 marathons, and um, we did the Wine Glass Marathon in um, uh, in the Corning, New York area. Nice. Do you have any uh, any more uh, marathons uh, in the uh, on, on the horizon, or you think you're done at nine? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, it's um, uh, being a large mammal. Um, you know, it, you kind of take a, a significant pounding. I do enjoy the training. I, I enjoy the rigors. I enjoy the getting ready. Um, but it has uh, taken a toll on me because of my size. Um, but it's a great thing. I mean, anybody can do a marathon if they're just willing to put in the work. So I, I don't have anything in the near future, but um, maybe, maybe you know, in a couple of years, I might do another one. So my answer is in a long roundabout way, I don't really know. I, I'm, I'm glad you shared that. That's a that's a pretty cool and, and impressive uh, accomplishment. I, uh, I actually had another guest on a couple of episodes ago, um, and uh, that's what she shared. She shared that she'd run a marathon in the past, and it was really uh, kind of an accomplishment she was proud of. So, uh, so thanks for sharing that with us, Corey. Um, You're welcome. So let's, uh, let's kind of ease into a little bit more about what it is you do and, and how, how you actually do it. So what would you say is the biggest challenge that you help people address or solve through your work? I think um, probably right at the top of that list, Russ, is uh, for my organization, my team, and the P the back office to just create an air of consultative engagement. And, and said differently, I think what that means is making people comfortable enough where they will talk openly and ask questions. Um, I think that's really at the top of the list here, uh, obviously you know, we have to answer everybody's questions. Um, we have to make sure that they're better for interacting with us. Um, and, you know, they may or may not decide to take action, but it, what's paramount is that people get their questions answered because many times, you know, long-term care and long-term care planning and insurance is confused with health insurance benefits and what they do, or it's confused with what the government might do or not do or it's confused with disability income and what that may do or not do. And, um, you know, somebody that's informed, that's comfortable, I think generally makes better, well thought out decisions, if that makes sense. It does. And, and that begs the question in my mind, how do people typically find you or get connected with you? I know, I know, I know I've introduced clients to you and I'm, I'm sure you get uh, referrals from lots of other professionals. Um, but is it typically, is, is there typically a catalyst in someone's life uh, that says, I, I need to address this? Is it, is it when they reach a certain age or age range? What, what typically um, 
happens that's that makes someone think, man, I, I should talk to someone about long-term care insurance and, and, you know, Corey's one of the best resources around to do that in the Atlanta area. Well, I think, um, at the top of this list is if people have had a prior experience that in 20 years of doing this, and we have focused solely on this since 2001, um, right at the, the, if they've been through it before, that is a very powerful predictor if they'll do anything about it going forward, because they already know, you know, what you know and what others know, and that's that nothing pays for this, that any expenses, uh, absorbed by home care, adult daycare, assisted living in the nursing home are, you know, the responsibility of the client and that the easiest way to get out ahead of this is to leverage your health and create and have an insurance instrument that can create a stream of income. So prior experience is right at the top of the list. Um, others, other factors could be that they're very diligent with financial planning and many times uh, if they haven't had a prior experience, this could be the next logical consideration in financial planning if they've done, if they've taken other steps. Um, so those, those two things are right at the top of this. I, you know, people always ask, um, well, what age should I buy it at? And, you know, one variable that people have to take into account, Russ, and I, and I know you know this, is on the individual side of things, uh, you know, people are fully underwritten by the carriers. And so they have to be healthy. And, um, you know, without selling fear, we have to tell people, hey, you know, the carriers look at your 10-year medical history, 10-year surgical history, and what medications you may be taking or have taken. And this will impact their interest in covering you. So sometimes people miss that they have to be fully underwritten on the individual side of this. Now, in companies, the underwriting can be abbreviating depending upon the setup, but you know. So those are some some pretty significant factors that determine interest uh, for folks. Have I answered your question adequately? No, you did. Thank you. And um, you mentioned a couple of things that I want to touch on. Um, the first of which is you mentioned the carriers, um, meaning these are the people that actually issue the policies uh, to cover uh, people or families for long term care insurance. Um, and I want to highlight the fact that you operate as an independent uh, consultant and broker. Uh, you're not a captive agent. You're not uh, you're not be- beholden to any single uh, carrier or provider of long-term care insurance. That's correct. That is 100% true. Yes, we um, do business with at high levels with uh, any of the carrier firms that uh, traditionally broker their product and. The, the main reason for that, well, there's a couple of reasons for it. One of, the, one of them is every care is a little bit different, or they can be different about what makes them uncomfortable from an underwriting and actuarial perspective. Uh, some carriers, um, you know, they have uh, more strict height and weight restrictions. Some carriers have strict insulin, um, you know, metrics. And uh, so, you know, if somebody's very, very healthy, they're going to have a lot of options. But, you know, we find that sometimes that isn't the case. And many times uh, our direction that we provide in terms of solutions is a direct, a direct result of how the client presents medically. Well, and I think that's another great example of how you take a consultative, uh, personalized approach. It's not cookie cutter. It's not just running people through a, an assembly line and kind of pressing out widgets. It's it's very dependent on the, the person, their current health, their medical history, their yeah. circumstances, um, you know, their, their financial situation comes into play because maybe they want to partially self-insure, but partially yeah. be covered by long-term care. So um, I, I think that's, uh, I think that really underscores the the personal touch that you bring to the to the process, and it and it can be confusing and overwhelming. Um, another thing you mentioned too is that you've been focused uh, exclusively on ter- long term care for twenty years now. Um, could you share a little bit about just your background and kind of what yeah. led you to do the work you're doing today? Because I find I find it fascinating all the interesting things that you've done, as well as your level of expertise uh, specifically around long term care. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. You know, like like many um, people, I had prior experience with it, and you know that unfortunately uh, can be a brutal and honest teacher. And so, you know, my parents, uh, you know, who lived in southern Minnesota, looked at this, and um, you know, my mom and dad looked at this and 
on or about 1980. Uh, my dad was a very good dentist, very good businessman in the small town of uh, Minnesota where we grew up. And, um, you know, he dismissed this idea. And, you know, it was 1980 and not now. So it's 40, roughly 40 years ago. And, you know, they, they did nothing. And um, so the next year, my mom was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And what they found out was that, sure, your money pays for it, but your health is what actually buys it. And, um, you know, so for 17 or 18 years, my dad, uh, you know, was my mom's primary helper, caregiver, and, um, you know, uh, continued to build, you know, a great practice and continued to make uh, significant contributions in the community and take care of my mom, put three of us through school and do all that comes with being a parent to three people, three kids. And in 1998, he sold his practice. And then for the next eight years, uh, you know, he did all the things he threatened to do while putting three kids through school and taking care of mom and all that. And, uh, in November of 2006, uh, he calls me at the office and he says, um, I have some news. And I said, what's that? He said, I've got stage four esophageal cancer. Oh, and, wow. uh, my dad died on Father's Day of 2007. And, you know, I'm in this business, Russ, and, and I never thought, I just always assumed wrongfully that my dad would outlive my mom. And that's not what happened. And it kind of you know, my personal experience, while, while painful uh, on many levels, uh, I think can be of service to people because, you know, my brother and sister were, were very supportive uh, of my mom and dad. You know, they lived in the Minneapolis area, roughly 100, 120 miles away from my mom and dad. I live in Atlanta. And so um, I helped, uh, you know, my mom and dad as the executor and, and doing all the duties that come with that. And uh uh, my brother and sister oftentimes got called with uh, little to no notice to help. And, you know, there's the geography component here in our personal circumstances because, you know, I live in Atlanta. My mom and dad live in southern Minnesota. My brother and sister live in Minneapolis. So it's 100, 120 miles away. So if you're in the same city, the geography, if you're in the same city, it can be very difficult to coordinate care. But if if you have this issue of geography and you're delivering the care yourself, it can add uh, additional complexities. And, um, you know, my brother and sister have families, um, and, you know, they work and, uh, you know, they're very good at what they do. And so it just created challenges and our circumstances were further compounded because my mom, because of her condition, couldn't drive. Uh, my dad was a big guy, 6'3 and 250 pounds. Uh, you know, mom couldn't clear the snow or cut the grass or, or take my dad to his appointments and stuff. And so it just created a lot of challenges and a lot of this could have been taken off the table, you know, had they, you know, uh, created a formal plan of long-term care. And I think, you know, aside from that, there were hundreds of thousands of dollars that were spent on mom, um, you know, from the time my dad died on father's day of 2007 until the time my mom passed, uh, in May of 2017. And so mom lived almost 10 years to the day after dad died. And so, um, you know, mom couldn't stay at home. Uh, you know, she had to go to assisted living and, um, you know, those expenses were ours, you know, um, 60, 70, $80,000 a year. And so the reality of that is, uh, you know, that could have been addressed with, you know, writing a check for uh, several thousand dollars, one or two years. And then I think a lot of those, a lot of that hundreds of thousands of dollars would have been the responsibility of a carrier as, as opposed to coming out of uh, the estate. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a lesson. Sometimes lessons are hard. Um, you know, when my mom was healthy and we were, st I was started this 20 years ago, you know, she said, Hey, you, you got to tell people about this. You know, we didn't, we didn't know. And, uh, uh, you know, I realized that this was something that, uh, you know, was obviously personal, deeply personal. And it really became more about, you know, getting the word out and helping people. And, um, you know, in the beginning, I think I felt uh, maybe bashful about sharing our experience. But I think, you know, my mom helped me with that by saying, hey, if you can help somebody, you got to tell them you got to tell them about what's happening and, and what is going to happen and what has happened to us. And so uh, it's very personal. And so a lot of times families wonder, well, if we don't do this, what could we be looking at? And, and, you know, look, there's no judgment here. 
this isn't for everybody, but I think understanding it and having a firm grasp on what it is and maybe more importantly, what it isn't is really important so people can make the decision that's best for them. Now, you alluded to earlier that, you know, we custom build every plan for the clients. And the first part of this is they have to, they have to be educated. They have to understand it. They have to understand the numbers and what it covers and, and what it does and, and all that. So we spend a fair amount of time with that. And we have, uh, I'm told, a pretty good website with that. Uh, very good materials, I'm told. Uh, and and it's, it's all geared to help people get to wherever it is they got to get to. And there are, um, there's great flexibility to build a plan. And sometimes in working with people like you, you know, you'll give me parameters. Hey, here's the premium parameters or here's the plan design parameters. And it makes it simpler uh, when we work with sharp people like you and you and your organization, because you're able to say, hey, this is the kind of solution we're looking for. And, um, you know, you'd asked earlier where, where we get our business. We have a lot of people that don't want to do this because it, it is involved and you, you have to learn about people's medical history. And, you know, we do want to learn de- everything about clients' medical history or as much as we can, because that helps drive the direction of the solution. So I know it's kind of a long answer to a short question, but it's uh, deeply personal to me. And uh, we have to, we have to make sure that uh, we do a comprehensive uh, job for each client uh, and that no stone, stone is left unturned. And, um, you know, every piece of business that comes through my organization, I review, I see it and make sure that it is, uh, you know, structured according to what the client wants. Well, first of all, thank you. I'm, I'm glad you shared that story. Um, I think I think it's much easier for our listeners and others to identify with stories rather than just trying to wrap their brains around, you know, what can be a somewhat abstract idea of long-term care and will I need this or won't I? And if I need it and don't have it, you know, what does that look like? And so I think sharing your personal family experience um, is helpful. Um, And I I think clearly that's informed your passion and, uh, desire to tell people about this and, and help educate them. Uh, speaking of which, we'll we'll make sure to include a link to your website in the show notes so people can you know look uh, look up some of the great educational resources you have available for them there. Um, and along the idea of uh, of education, I think most people listening to this probably have some sense of what long term care insurance is. Uh, but as you opened uh, our conversation with, uh, people probably have misconceptions or think think it's one thing or or think that it's not another. So could you take just a, a minute or two and and just kind of at a high level talk about um, what long term care insurance is, what it's not, and why? Uh, what are uh, what are situations other than the personal story you shared? Other situations where uh, long term care uh, might make a a big difference in someone's life. Sure. Uh, let me take a run at that. Uh, long-term care is uh, insurance is the kind of help you may need as a result of prolonged illness or disability. It could be that people are dealing with the after effects of having lived a long life. Uh, the way that a client might collect benefits is if they cannot perform two out of the six ADLs, which is activities of daily living, that's eating, bathing, dressing, toileting, transferring continence. If their medical professional you know, thinks that they can't do two out of those six and uh, writes what's called a 90 day certification letter, uh, then the claim begins. So um, the other way that a client may collect benefits is as a result of cognitive impairment. And that's orientation as to person, place or time, deductive or abstract reasoning, judgment as it relates to safety awareness or memory matters. And many times a determination can be made by looking at the client medical records or you know, giving the client a standardized test. So it's either or. And sometimes there's discussion about, well, you know, I know it's very, very subjective, you know, the claims process. It is, but it is subjective with somebody on the client's side that if they have complete command of the client medical history and the medical professional thinks it's a claim, it's over. And um, in 20 years of doing this, every claim that's been legitimate, no matter what the carrier has always been paid that I've been involved in. And so ultimately, if a client's health professional thinks that they they meet the claim requirements, you know, generally the claim is paid. Uh, and so that's, um, that's kind of how that uh, 
you know, gets moving. And could you, uh, could you also maybe highlight, um, just briefly what long-term care uh, insurance is not uh, as it relates to uh, like uh, what Medicare covers, uh, yeah. what social security disability covers, that sort of thing. Because I think, I think a lot of people uh, mistakenly think that, Oh, uh, once I'm Medicare eligible, then I'm taken care of if I have a long-term care illness or need. Yeah. It Medicare is health insurance. It's care for the elderly and You know, health insurance helps us get better using skilled care. And skilled care is delivered by somebody with a lot of training. You know, might be a physical therapist, might be a medical doctor, um, registered nurse. And they deliver things like tube feeding, IVs, and things of that nature. It's all used when there's an expectation of recovery or an expectation of improvement. Long-term care is used when there's no expectation of improvement, when we're just trying to make the client uh, comfortable. And so think of it as bookends. Health insurance is going to help uh, using skilled care delivered by somebody with a lot of training. Uh, Long-term care is delivered. um, It's non-skilled care. It's called custodial care. It's delivered when the client is not going to get better and they're just trying to make them comfortable. So think of them as bookends. Um, Sometimes long-term care gets confused with disability income. Uh, Disability income, um, you have to be underwritten. You have to uh, provide evidence of you know, what income you are protecting, and you know, then the plan is structured that way. Uh, long-term care is, you know, it, it's very clear uh, about how a client collects benefits. The two out of the six activities of daily living under the physical impairment provision or cognitive impairment, which is, you know, as we mentioned earlier, uh, orientation is to person, place, or time, deductive or abstract reasoning, judgment as it relates to safety awareness or memory matters. And so, um, you know, those are some important learnings. And here's, here's the real learning. People, in my experience, until they get educated, they think that this is not their problem financially and nothing could be further from the truth. Medicare is health insurance. We already, under, we already understand what health insurance does. It helps you get better. Your private health insurance uh, or Medicare it's geared to help you get better. It's geared to, uh, you know, be used when there's expectation of improvement. Long-term care is used when, you know, somebody, uh, you know, has MS like my mother did or uh, Parkinson's disease, or they meet two out of the six activities of daily living requirement or the cognitive impairment. So, you know, nothing pays for it. And the government, as it stands now, doesn't step in until the clients meet certain minimum income and asset levels is set forth by the state's Medicaid system. And so what we find, what clients find is that they end up paying for their care anyway. They just have to spend down to certain minimum income and asset levels. And so the easiest way to get out ahead of this is to leverage a client's health and to take um, a measure of risk off the table by buying an insurance product. That makes sense? It does. And 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 I'm I'm reminded of something I think that I saw you share online recently. Um, am I remembering correctly that I want to say a state out West is actually now mandating um, long-term care coverage for either uh, its citizens or a subset of its citizens? Um, am I am I making that up or did I see something along those lines? Yeah. Um, the state of Washington um, has said uh you need to provide essentially the the Cliff Notes version is they've said hey you know for every hundred thousand dollars of income uh, you have to um, you have to show evidence of long term care insurance if you don't we're going to tax you I think it's like five hundred eighty dollars per hundred thousand that you make and it's created a lot of interest uh, and a lot of urgency in the state of Washington and I think they have. Um, coverage available. But ultimately, if, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure what the education is, um, you know, on the product that's available there. But, you know, that's paramount, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter, you know, what state issues or state anomalies there may be. It's just really important for people to understand uh, what the issues are. And so the state of Washington just they've, they've got this sort of payroll tax that they're uh, putting out there. And, uh, you know, if people, you know, 
for every hundred thousand uh, dollars that people that somebody makes, if they don't have long term care, they're going to be taxed at five hundred eighty dollars per hundred thousand. That's uh, kind of what I've been advised, and that's my understanding. We're helping a fair amount of people in the state there deal with this. But uh, no matter what the circumstances, our education is paramount. They have to understand what the cost of care could be in their area for the hourly cost of home care, the daily cost of adult daycare, the monthly cost of assisted living, or the daily cost of a nursing home. And so um, they have to be clear on what those numbers are and what their opportunities could be to get out ahead of it. And I assume, I'm maybe I'm off base here, I assume that that additional tax is maybe to help shore up the state's Medicaid fund, because I assume if you don't have coverage and you spend down your assets and you go to Medicaid, um, which in general terms is the last is the uh, care of last resort. Um, I'm assuming that's to maybe help shore up Medicaid funds or could it be something else? Uh, not sure where the money. Um, I'm not exactly sure. That would be my assumption. But that said, uh, um, I don't actually know what the state of Washington is going to do, but that would be my assumption. Do you think do you think we'll see more examples of that across the country and in other states or other jurisdictions or well, I think it I think it has created the urgency. I, I don't know what other states are planning um, or what they could do. You know, they could uh, they could do it that way. They could provide potentially tax credits. Uh, there there's a lot of ways that they could help everybody with this. And and I'm sure that you know, this may be, it may be a jumping off point for other states. Uh, I'm sure other states are monitoring kind of how people are responding. Um, uh, it has created uh, a sense of urgency there. I can say that. Yeah, I can, I can, I can only imagine. Um, well, you know, well, I didn't mean to get off of a tangent, but I, I thought that was, uh, I thought that was uh, interesting recent news and it certainly ties into our conversation today. Um, Corey, what's a favorite client success story? I mean, you've been doing this for 20 years um, plus, um, but when you think back over your years and the families and clients you've worked with and helped, what's a, a success story that sticks out in your mind? Well, I think getting it right, um, it's, it's not an easy business. Um, uh, I think over the years it does get easier because you have contacts. You 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 know because of you know uh, the job you've done. I think you make more relationships and and people see the value. Um, but I think you know helping somebody get to wherever it is they got to go. Um, and I think just. Uh, there's a number of people over the last couple of years that have had a lot of, a lot of health history that we've gotten issued. And I think if we have developed uh, uh, one core competency, it's, it's helping people that have been told that they think they can't get it. And I think part of that is we have a, a deliberate algorithm that we use to assess clients insurability Um because we work with all the carriers, you know, we know kind of who will take certain cases and who won't. Um, I can think of one case uh, where, well, I can think of several, but, you know, there's one case where uh, a client got declined twice. And um, uh, I went and interacted with the underwriter and her doctor, and turns out that there was uh, some inaccuracies in, in the lady's medical records. Um and I think the fact that I sold pharmaceuticals uh, and implantable medical devices in the 90s, I, and the fact that my dad was a dentist, I kind of had an, I have an idea of how doctor's offices operate. And because I've been doing this for 20 years, I, I know what makes underwriters comfortable or uncomfortable. And, um, you know, that was, we were able to help her. Uh, and I always wonder, you know, she asked me when we finished this, she said, you know, how many people do you think would have quit after I got declined the first time? And I said, I don't know. And she said, well, how many people would have known to negotiate with the underwriter and to clarify the medical history and, and to, to, to get a letter and hand deliver it to the doctor's office for them to sign on their letterhead and, and all that. And I said, you know, I don't, I don't know that either. I know what I do. I know, you know, my, what I believe my obligation is to folks, 
Um, and she said, well, how many people do you think would have gone after this? You know, when I got declined the second time and I said, you know, I don't know. Uh, what I do know is what, what we do and, and we take, you know, our role very seriously. So that there was a, a large measure of gratification in getting it right. There was another lady and her husband that, you know, came onto my website in June of 2018. And, um, you know, we just got the case done at the beginning of this year and, um, a lot of health changes, a lot of health history, uh, busy family. And, um, they really were, um, uh, very, very, um, thankful that we spent as much time as we did with them. Uh, I think for her, she was extremely, the wife was extremely healthy. Uh, the husband, you know, had some challenges. And so, uh, we ended up applying there with three carriers for both of them. Cause I wasn't sure who would take them. Well, every, the three carriers took her, there was no problem. She you know, was very, very clean medical history. And two of the three, you know, declined him. And there was one carrier that uh, accepted him. And so we ended up placing the business with them. And, and she had said to me, well, how many people do you think would have known to apply with three carriers simultaneously on the front end? And I said, I, I don't know. It's, it's a lot more work for us, but it does yield very, very good outcomes. And, you know, we've got a, a detailed 10 page document that the client fills out. So they know what they've told us if they engage our services, because after talking to them and educating them, many times they'll say, well, what's the next step? Well, the next step is I, we got to know everything about your medical history. So we, so we know how best to help you. We know if carriers will take you, if we know, so we know who the takers are. And then, you know, we have someone in our organization that verifies the medical history with the client, works with the client, summarizes along with the client, their health history and sends it out to the market and the market, the carriers will weigh in and say, Hey, we're, we have interest in this, uh, or we, uh, have questions about this or that. And so there's a person in our organization that does all that. And, um, uh, it lends itself to better outcomes. And so, um, you know, the, the, the other part of this is if one of the questions, uh, in the carrier application is, Hey, have you been declined before? And it's much easier to apply simultaneously with three carriers at once than it is to go to carrier A and, okay, hey, we get declined here and then go to carrier B and you get declined there and then you go to carrier C and then you get declined there and, you know, you're having to explain that. So it does yield very, very good outcomes. And we seem to have developed a subspecialty with hard to place cases. And we have had a lot of success with that. Um, it's rare when we miss something. Usually it's in the client's medical history, which, you know, when we work with clients, you know, the, our client intake form really contains most of the questions that the carriers want to know the answers to. So it becomes a very good roadmap to fill out uh, the applications for folks. And so it's geared to doing it right. It's geared for making sure that we put the clients with the best carrier underwriting wise. I mean, if if a client is healthy, they have a lot of options. And then it could be a question of how they want to pay or how they want to fund and so on. But, um, you know, recently we had a case where uh, we dual apply to two carriers. Uh, one uh, older couple uh, had some health history. Um, one carrier said no right away. And just yesterday we, we got the approval from uh, one of our trusted carrier partners that does a great job with clients with, with history. So, um, you know, I, I wonder how many people would, you know, dual apply for people that have a lot of medical history. Uh, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, I do know that, you know, it's important that if somebody is going to take the time and go through the process, we have to put them in the best position to be successful and to be underwritten. Uh, kind of a long answer to a short question, I'm sure here. No, a great, a, a, a great Answer and, and more importantly, a great explanation. I mean, I, I think it just—I um, think it's just a testament to the the handholding that you do and the the work and investment that you and Amber make upfront when you're working with uh, a person or a couple um, to you know get them the best outcome. And I, while while I know you said you don't know uh, what others might have done, I, I I suspect the the answer is slim to none, but um, again, I'm just speculating. So uh, I, those are all great examples, and I and I appreciate you you sharing them all all with us. Um, 
What's what's surprised you've been doing this for a long time. Uh, you know, long-term care inside and out, um, which is just another reason why you're such a great resource um, for those that want to evaluate or consider long-term care insurance for their personal situation. But what surprised you most about your work uh, in the area of long-term care and working with individuals, individuals and families uh, to evaluate this need? Um. I think, you know, there's, there's a, uh, there's a number of things there that come to mind. One, I think that because it is sort of more out front and, you know, people, more and more people are talking about it, 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 it always surprises me that people don't, you know, when people say they, they haven't heard anything about it. I mean, with, you know, 1980, they, they didn't have social media and they didn't have the experience and the coverage that is going on now, but it's, it always surprises me when people don't know anything about it. And, you know, it's probably good for them that they haven't been through it, uh, you know, and so that's good. But, um, you know, as we said earlier, prior, ex- prior experience helps people understand it. Um, I'm always surprised when people have not heard anything about it uh, or their financial team has not discussed it with them uh, or, you know, they've told them that they can self-fund. And, um you know, I think that leads into a discussion of, well, how much is enough? And so, you know, when you, many people want to know, well, how many, how many, how much in terms of assets do I need to have? So I don't need to think about buying this. And I, I think it's the, it's sort of a backwards way to look at it. So if somebody has, let's just say you have a client, Russ, that has $2 million and you're a, you're probably going to allow them to take out what 4% per year, roughly. Is that, would that be right? Yeah, that's a good rule of thumb or, or at least a starting point. Yeah. So probably, you know, so let's just say 4% of 2 million is 80,000. Um, you know, when you look at the general worth cost of care site, which is free, uh, you know, for those folks listening, if you want to Google general worth cost of long-term care, there's a, an instrument that will, measure the cost of care for eight to 10 cities in every state in the United States. There's an hourly cost of home care number. Usually it's about $25 an hour in Atlanta. There's adult daycare, which is $120 to $150 a day. And there's the rental component for assisted living, which is around four to $5,000 a month, roughly. And then there's the daily cost of the nursing home, which is 200 to 250. So, you know, on average it's 40, 50, $60,000 a year. And if a client thinks they can self-fund with a $2 million nest egg and the worst happens, you know, uh, you know, a nursing home room is $72,000 a year and that goes up two to 3% a year. So, you know, 4% of 2 million, that's 80,000. That's before taxes, that's before expenses. And so it, the money may not go as far as people may think. And the other thing that helps people is, Hey, what measure of risk do you want to take on? And if they, you know, this general tool is very powerful. It's free. Everybody can go to it. It doesn't cost anything, but it shows you the cost of care in your area, eight to 10 cities in every state in the United States. And so you can have a deep discussion about, oh, okay. So if it's $200 a day is kind of the worst case scenario, roughly in Atlanta. Um, and right now without any, ins- without any insurance, I'm taking on $72,000 a year. Well, on an $80,000 a year income, that, that may not work very well. Um, and so, you know, for several thousand dollars a year, they could take a big measure of that off the table. And sometimes uh, that gets lost. And um, probably in my experience, because, you know, long-term care is kind of an awkward, uncomfortable thing to talk about. Um, so, you know, people sometimes have difficulty bringing it up and speaking about it. And, uh, you know, the best thing that we can do is help people understand and, an air of, and provide an air of comfort and consultative engagement so they can figure out what to do. Yeah, and I, um, you mentioned the Genworth Cost of Care uh, tool. Uh, we'll be sure, uh, be sure to include a link to that in the show notes for this episode. Um, it is a great resource for anyone that wants to look up their local um, or geography-based cost of care uh, in different areas around the country. Um, and I think through our conversation thus far, Corey, I think we've made a pretty strong case for the need for long-term care uh, insurance, or at least the need to evaluate it, consider it, see if it makes sense in, in 
you know, in a person's situation. Yeah. But what, uh, what would, in, in your experience, what prevents people from actually following through or following your advice when it comes to long-term care? Is it, is it a financial decision? Is it, they just don't want to face their, you know, their own mortality or the potential need or, uh, or is it something else? Well, I think it can be those things. Um, you know, I think a lot of people will say, uh, you know, if the average premium is three or $4,000 a year, you know, ultimately if a client is healthy, they can determine whatever premium they would be willing to pay. Um, a lot of people will say, well, gee, I have a problem paying in, you know, three or $4,000 a year and, and never having anything to show for this and, and never needing the coverage. And, you know, I always say to them, Hey, that's a high class problem. You know, I mean, nobody pays into long-term care wanting to use it, at least nobody that I've ever met. However, there are different ways to leverage client money. And sometimes clients don't realize that, you know, you can set the plan up to return a portion of premium to your estate if you want to pay a little bit more for that rider. Um, you can have, you know, just the straight insurance and just take a measure of risk off the table, provided you are healthy enough. Uh, or you can have a, a combination product with life and long-term care, annuity and long-term care, which is, hey, you know, if you need the services, there's a measure of money that's available here. And if you die healthy, there's a measure that gets returned to your state. So sometimes it's just a question of education. And once clients understand that, you know, we work with the entire market, that we'll bring them the options to them based on their health, and then they can fund it in a number of ways. Another thing that's missed is, you know, and you know this, uh, Clients can write one check and be done. They can pay over five years and be done. They can pay over 10 years or 20 years, or they can do what is called a life pay alternative, which they pay the premium until they go on claim or they pay until, you know, they, they need it. And so, um, you know, there's just a lot of options. And if the client has their health, they ultimately can determine what budget they're going to use toward this or, you know, people like yourselves can say, hey, Corey, I need you to plan. I need you to solve for this number, this daily benefit, this, you know, uh, this benefit period and so on. So um, I think helping people understand that there's a range. I mean, people can buy between 50 and $500 a day of coverage. Now, in Atlanta, you know, a pretty strong starting point is $200 a day. Uh, we have people, we request it financial advisors and people look at the gen worth cost of care they can see it for themselves and they can see what the cost of home care is uh, on average on an annual basis or adult daycare or assisted living or the nursing home. Then the benefit period is if a client needs the care, how many years does uh, the, the carrier pay? Two years, three years, four years, all the way up to unlimited. Uh, there's an inflation component that's, that's very important. Um, you know, carriers generally sell 1% compound inflation, 2% compound inflation, 3% compound inflation, 4% compound inflation, or 5% compound inflation. And, um, you know, there's a range there. And then, of course, the final main planning metric is what we call the elimination period. And that's another way of saying deductible. And it's how many days does a carrier pay uh, before the client has to pay? I mean, how many days does a client have to pay before the carrier pays? Is it zero days, 30, 60, 90, and so on? So there's a range and all of those four planning metrics can be custom built for each client. Um, and many times we do that after underwriting is complete, assuming we've got, you know, a satisfactory outcome. So there's great, there's a tremendous amount of flexibility in plan design, but there's also uh, flexibility in how the client pays. Uh, Cause you know, a, a client of means may want to pay for, five years for their plan or 10 years or, and be done uh, because at some point, probably a lot of folks will be on a fixed income. So, uh, you know, we, we spend a lot of time helping people understand it. Uh, it's not for everybody. Uh, we want to, we want people to just understand what it is. Then if we help them, uh, you know, we feel a deep obligation to scour the market and find out what the options are underwriting wise. And then, the plan design is really straightforward and it can be verified after underwriting is complete. And of course, funding, because uh, people may not want to pay with one premium payment, but they want to be aware of it. So um, those are all things that are kind of um, um, the steps that we kind of 
try to take to try to get it right to do to put people in the most conservative position. Uh, does that answer your question? It does. And what and what I take away from that explanation is that insurance in general and long term care specifically is super complex. Um, I think there's a lot of value in having a uh, an experienced guide to help you navigate the choices and the considerations and the, the decision points that you know need to be made along the way uh, to help you find the best solution for your situation. Um, and and I think uh, the other point I would make that kind of goes hand in hand with that is. Um, I want to reiterate the fact that, that this is all that Corey does. Like it's he's long-term care insurance, you know, all day, every day. And if you've got a insurance agent or provider that you've worked with in the past and you're talking to them about long-term care insurance, um, just be, uh, be careful that you're getting the, the full scoop and you're getting uh, the, uh, a guided experience that's going to help educate you about your choices and the decisions and the pros and cons of each. Uh, I'm not disparaging anyone else out there in the insurance field, but uh, as Corey has already illustrated, there's a lot of depth and complexity to the world of long-term care insurance. So I think it, uh, I think it certainly makes the case for dealing with someone that, you know, lives and breathes this stuff, you know, day in and day out. Um, Uh, We appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, uh, Corey is something I'm always interested to ask folks um, when I have these conversations is, you know, I deal with a lot of women, their families, and their families are important to them, especially their children. So let, let's say, uh, let's say a listener has a son or daughter in college and they listen to this and they think, wow, that sounds really interesting. I have an interest in helping people. Um, I have an interest, maybe a, a, a passing interest in um, health, healthcare, uh, and the medical field, which I, I think, you know, certainly your work all touches on. If a college student were to approach you, Corey, and was interested in learning more or possibly pursuing a career in insurance in general and long-term care specifically, what advice or guidance would you give to them? Well, I think that, you know, the first thing that they could, they should probably do is speak to people that have been doing it a while and, you know, learn, you know, the sort of the good, bad, and indifferent about you know, their experiences. Um, I think one of the most important things I did when I graduated from Iowa in 1987 was I went to work for someone else and I didn't have any real world, real work experience. I mean, I worked, you know, in a factory and I worked, um, you know, at a, at a lumber yard, helping people get delivered construction materials and stuff. Um, but I think the, the biggest thing that I did was I went out and, and just got some experience um, working for someone else, understanding their tools, their evaluations, their techniques, how they did things, um, expenses. Um, you know, I had uh, two pharmaceutical jobs after two uh, manufacturing related positions. And then I sold implantable medical devices, uh, you know, dental implants from 1996 to 2000. And, you know, I think having that 12 or 13 years of experience really helped me understand, you know, activity is certainly an important um, uh, precipitator or determining factor in results and so on. But working for someone else, um, you know, if nothing else, you find out what you like, you find out what you don't like. I had always had this idea that I would build something on my own. I just, I just never knew what it would be, but I thought, Hey, if I had operational and manufacturing experience, that might be useful. If I had sales experience, that might be useful and uh, managerial experience and all of that has helped. Um, But I think, you know, when I was discussing this with my mom 20 years ago, um, this is something that is really personal to me, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent. And um, I think if I'm able to help somebody with my experience, even if they don't do the business with me, or even if they don't do anything, I think I will have helped them on some level. Um, But probably somebody thinking about this should talk to somebody else, multiple people. Hey, what are the, what are the bad things about what you do? What are the good things? Uh, You know, tell me what your typical day is like, tell me what you've learned or tell me what you were prepared for. What, what surprises you? Um, 
What gets you out of bed in the morning? Those kinds of things. And then get some experience. Um, I think it, you know, the financial services industry is, it's, it's harder than I think what people maybe think. And, you know, when I started 20 years ago, they said, you know, I think the survival rate beyond five years was like 15%. Maybe it's a different number now, but, you know, you have to really want to survive in this, to survive. Um, so, and that's, you know, that's really anything that I think that somebody, you know, that you start on your own. So uh, I would tell somebody that was looking at this, get different perspectives, you know, maybe talk to somebody that sells uh, pharmaceuticals in a company. You know, that's health related. Uh, talk to somebody that sells individual, um, you know, insurance related uh, plans or talk to somebody that, you know, sells group related plans and, you um, uh, maybe do an internship or two. So those are some thoughts that I would have, um, you know, on, on somebody if they had interest in uh, exploring this further. Well, I, and I think you said it best. I mean, I think that's, I think that's great advice for anyone, regardless of what they want to pursue. But um, yeah, but I, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, you know, Corey, I think you and I could probably easily talk for another hour or two, but um, I do have a couple more questions. Are you, you okay on time? Y- yes, sir. So, um, you know, this is called the Women's Retirement Radio Podcast. Um, everything that I do ties back to retirement planning for women, their families, uh, for the people um, and organizations that are important in their lives. Um, when you think about the word retirement, uh, what comes to mind for you personally? Well, I think, um, you know, I've talked to a lot of people um, about retirement and, and how some of my uh, friends and clients that are retired. And I always ask them, is it a big adjustment? You know, what was your game plan? What do you do every day? And I find uh, uh, it's some people, you know, are enjoying just uh, not having to do anything on a daily basis. Others have said, hey, I, I think it's important for a person to have a place to go when they get up in the morning. Um, and Kind of the overriding factor is, um, you know, my wife and I have raised uh, money for the Leukemia Lymphoma Society uh, with the marathons and the races that we've done with them over the years. Um, that kind of speaks to me. Um, you know, veterans, uh, you know, I've had a fair amount of experience raising money for those folks. That speaks to me. I think I would need personally something like that that speaks to me to go to a couple of mornings a week. And, you know, of course, our business uh, that you and I are in, I mean, it, you know, you can set it up in such a way that you could work, you know, two or three days a week and, um, you know, do other things the other couple of days. And so um, for me, I think it's about choices. Uh, I still, I turned 57 last Thursday. Uh, I still really love what I do. Um, You know, and I like the process. I enjoy uh, helping people and uh, helping them get good outcomes. And um, retirement for me might mean slowing down a little bit. Um, maybe, you know, working three days a week and not five. Um, I haven't really defined it. And, uh, you know, for others, you know, it might be about, you know, the money and the assets and all that stuff. And, um, you know, for me, you know, it's not about that. It's okay. Well, what, what really should I do with my time? And I think, you know, what kind of where I'm landing is I, I need to, I'm going to need probably to do something, uh, raising money, um, for, for organizations, um, you know, that speak to me like the Leukemia Lymphoma Society, like veterans, um, you know, a couple of years ago when the Super Bowl was in Atlanta, you know, I was on a committee that raised almost a million dollars for St. Jude's. That's a tremendous organization. Um, you know, something for kids. Uh, so I think it would be, I would have to have something to do a couple of days, I think, helping an organization get money and, um, you know, for causes that I think are, are good. So um, again, kind of a long answer to a short question, but uh, that's where I'm at right now with it. Yeah. Well, I, well, first of all, happy belated birthday. Um, but I, I think that's a great perspective and, and one that I largely share. Um, it, I mean, what I heard you say, it, it doesn't sound like, at least today, it doesn't sound like there's a point in time where you imagine just shutting down the long-term planning no. group and, and doing nothing or 
shifting completely from that to, you know, some of your charitable interests or things like that, it sounds like it's maybe a transition. And, and I, I often frame it as uh, the fact that people are often unprepared to transition from full-time work to full-time living. Um, and I like how you said that they need to have something to move to. Um, and I think the earlier people think about, uh, explore and identify those things, the better. Um, because I think people that just want to escape a job that maybe is just sucking the life of them uh, out of them and and they just kind of want to get get across that finish line but don't really have anything on the other side of it that that can actually lead to mental decline physical physical decline there's a lot of research around this so yeah. I uh, I think that's a I think that's a a great answer so I appreciate you sharing that well I think I think that there is a um I, I think that having different things to do for me uh you know, being a tourist, I'm a creature of habit. Um, I like early morning exercise. I like large amounts of black coffee in the morning. I like getting to the office early. Um, I like being able to, to adapt and be flexible, but I think having different things to do. Um, like if I knew that I had to go raise money two days a week, um, and I I was going to work three days a week because, you know, our businesses are, businesses where if you have clients and they're paying clients, the money is there forever. And so um, that has its, um, that has its advantages. Um, and, I'm, and I'm sure I could probably sell the company, but right now I don't have any, you know, no plans to do that um, because I enjoy what I'm doing too much. That's the real reason why I'm continuing to do it. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I, sadly, I think that's increasingly rare that people actually, love their work and find fulfillment and joy from it. So, um, you know, kudos to you for doing something that you, you know, have passion around and, and clearly you've got some personal history uh, around as well, but I think that's, I think that's fantastic. Um, uh, again, along the theme of retirement uh, and, and specifically retirement for women, um, what do you think is one of the biggest challenges women face when they're planning for retirement? And, and, and part B to that question is, um, how does your work with the long-term care planning group and around long-term care insurance, how does that impact women and their families as they're preparing for that transition into retirement? Well, I think, I think most women are more open to this than men. That's been my experience. And uh, I have found uh, a great deal of success working with women just because they realize, I just think they're more realistic. I mean, you know, a lot of men, they, for whatever reason, they don't want to deal with it. You know, don't you see the S on the chest? Don't you know I have the red cape? They don't, a lot of men have difficulty dealing with physical demise, mental demise, things of that nature. And I think women are just, they're just more open to it. And I think they realize, okay, if I'm married and or in a committed relationship and my significant other spouse has an issue, I'm not only need to become a caregiver, I need to, I may need to make more money. And so it's a it's a twofold issue, and we found a lot of success working with women um, because I think they're just more open to it. And I think they're, in my experience, they're they're better caregivers than men, um, and they are open to hearing about ideas that might make it easier for them. So um, you know, we enjoy the work that we do with women um, because we found that in most cases they're, they're much more open to this for us. Yeah. And I, I, I can, um, I can speak to, to that personally based on the couple of recent cases where um, you and I've worked together on behalf of a couple of my clients um, and have had good outcomes. And um, the women in particular seem very, engaged throughout the process. At least that's my take. You might, you might see a little bit differently, but, um, but yeah. Oh no, they, your, your clients are extremely engaged and that's one of the reasons we really enjoy working with you. Um, your clients know why they're coming to us. They do what you tell them. They're highly engaged and it's just a real pleasure to help them. Um, uh, so that's, that's been our experience with you. Yeah. Well, uh, listen, as, as we, Start to wrap up the conversation today. Uh, I want to thank you again, Corey. This has been great. And, and again, I, I feel we could easily talk for another hour or two if we had the time. Um, sure. But before we wrap up, why don't you share with our listeners? Um, I, I know you're a busy guy uh, running a business, um, 
with your family, things like that. But when, when you've got an hour or two to yourself, um, how, how do you most enjoy spending your time? You know, I, I enjoy, um, uh, hard exercise. Um, you know, I enjoy, uh, swimming, um, not so much running anymore because of what I said earlier, you know, I have a Nordic track that I use and uh, I'm able to watch, kind of catch up on some of my shows that I watch. I, I like, I think exercise helps me process, you know, things that I could have done differently that day or things that a lot of times it generates ideas. Um, so, uh, you know, my, my wife likes to also exercise. So that makes it easier to go do that. Um, and we, you know, exercise two or three mornings a week at the Y where, you know, kind of close to where we live and, you know, we'll run our neighborhood and, and things of that nature. And, and my wife is an excellent cook. We like to cook. Um, I like to use the big green egg. And um, so we like to entertain a fair amount as well. So those are all things I don't have a, a hodgepodge of answers, but I think what helps me unwind is exercise. And, um, you know, I like, I like ESPN. Um, you know, I like the Sopranos and the Soprano shows are about 45 minutes. So that's a, that's a good workout on the Nordic track and I can watch another episode and, uh, feel good about exercising and watching what I think is a great TV show at the same time. And then at the end, I can kind of process what happened that day or, you know, things that I should have done differently and so on. And then I can let it go. Uh, I think the most important thing, one of the most important things that you and I can have is a short memory. And that's a short memory as to things that happened that were not good or unfortunate or, or even great because every day is a new day and it's a clean slate. So uh, exercising helps me unwind, helps me process things. And I think uh, makes me better uh, for the folks that I interact with, hopefully. Yeah. What's your, uh, what just curious, what's your favorite thing to cook on your uh, green egg? Well, I think, um, it, it is really an unbelievable instrument. Um, I don't own one. I've, I've, I know people that yeah, it, it, love it and they can't stop talking about it. So I'm just kind of curious. It what is, um, I think it's the, the process. I think, um, you know, my wife really likes the pizzas we make. Um, you know, we make a thin crust pizza that you cook at about 600 degrees for five to six minutes. And then we have people over and they put their own toppings on it. Um, I think the process of, you know, the, the process of getting the grill going, the process of catching up on our days. Um, you know, the Big Green Egg Store, um, they have cooking classes. And so, you know, we've learned a lot over the years taking classes from them about, you know, how to cook hamburgers and steaks and, um, you know, uh, how to smoke, you know, ribs and, uh, you know, pork shoulders and things of that nature. I think steak is right at the top of my list. And, um, you know, we like, uh, just enjoy the whole process. It's right out in the backyard and, uh, you know, it does take a while for the grill to get going, but it gives, uh, my wife and I, and, or our guests a chance to catch up and talk about any sort of goings on. Uh, um, but I think steak would probably be at the top of my list. I mean, my wife loves fish and the pizza, those things probably would be at the top of her list. Um, but if you can, I found that if I can tell time and I pay attention, that the results are always pretty good with, you know, whatever you cook on the big green egg. Yeah. It's don't pay attention to the temperature or the time that, you know, you get outcomes that aren't good, like, you know, dry food or food that's burnt. Yeah. So, just to, it's been fun to kind of learn about it. I mean, I don't know as much as a lot of my friends do, um, but I'm, I'm enjoying kind of learning it at my pace and kind of, uh, you know, seeing, uh, the guests that we have over and, and how they look at the food and how, you know, they comment on the food once it's done right. That's really, it's like getting a good outcome with somebody that has a lot of health problems with long-term care, like getting them covered. It's kind of has the same effect for me. Yeah. Well, I'm, I think anytime you've got a, a, a good excuse to, to grill a steak is, uh, is time well spent. So, uh, so that, that's I'll, I'll second that. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, thanks for sharing. So, uh, so Corey, uh, if, if there were, we've covered a lot. We've talked about the ins and outs of long-term care uh, insurance. We've talked about underwriting, uh, health history, 
uh, and a ton of other related topics. But if there were one thing that our listeners could take away from our conversation today, what would you want that one thing to be? I, I would say just, you know, whoever your person is, your financial planner, your advisor, you know, talk to them about long-term care, start the education process. Uh, the timing may not be right. It may not be right for you, but the, the timing for education is always right. And um, just talk to someone. That would be my input. And uh, with that idea in mind, I'm sure people are going to listen to this and are, are, are going to want to learn more themselves or maybe pick up the phone and reach out to you or certainly go to your website. And we'll include a lot of this information in the show notes. But what's the best way for people to learn more, to get in touch, to, uh, to reach out if, if they want to have a conversation with you, Corey? Well, they can, they can call me directly. Um, it's 678-814-5088. Um, they can go to the website at www.thelongtermcareplanninggroup.com or they can email me at Corey at the long-term care planning group.com. But any of those, it's probably easiest to call or email me. Um, and then we can, you know, take the next steps and, and see about getting their questions answered and, and helping them learn more about this. Yeah. And I, I cannot, uh, I cannot encourage anyone listening enough to, uh, to start your own educational journey uh, around long-term care. Um, certainly reach out to myself or reach out directly to Corey if, uh, if you've got questions or, or want to uh, dive into that uh, topic further. Um, and uh, as I said, we'll, we'll share all of Carrie, uh, Corey's contact information and links and phone number and, and, uh, and, and that sort of thing in the show notes for this episode. So, um, Corey, thanks, uh, thanks so much for joining us uh, uh, today. I've, I've, I've enjoyed our conversation as I always do. I appreciate you sharing your um, expertise and experience around long-term care uh, with our listeners. Russ, thanks so much for having us on your show. And uh, you do a great job and it's a pleasure to work with you. And um, to anybody out there that asks questions about uh, their planning or their finances or managing money, Russ is a great guy to talk to. Well, thanks, Corey. I appreciate that. And um, for everyone listening, thanks for joining us. Uh, again, this is Russ Thornton with Women's Retirement Radio, and uh, we look forward to catching up with you on our next episode. It's Russ again. And before you go, I want to provide a brief disclosure. You should consult a financial advisor familiar with the specific circumstances of your unique financial situation before making any financial decisions. Nothing in this broadcast constitutes a solicitation for the sale or purchase of any securities. Any mentioned rates of return are historical or hypothetical in nature and are not a guarantee of future returns. I'm a financial advisor and an investment advisor representative of Wealthcare Capital Management, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor based in Richmond, Virginia. The views discussed in this podcast are my own and may not be consistent with or represent those of Wealthcare Capital Management.